Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you and good to celebrate. I want to encourage and invite you to celebrate yourselves and the generosity of Christmas Eve. $29,000 to the Methodist Children's Home is a wonderful gift, so thank you for making that possible. Your generosity will literally help change uh, many hundreds of lives with children, youth, adults, and families, and uh, I know they're grateful for your generosity, and I know I am as well, so thanks for making that real. So we start our new series today called Ready or Not as we begin this new year, and it's always fun to start a new year, right? There's lots of newness a part of it, and a part of uh, uh, what we do moving forward always kind of makes possibilities real, and I get excited about that. I hope you do as well. One of the things that I'm mindful of as we start this series is um, a, a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, I started playing hide-and-seek with my grandson. He's now six, almost seven, and so it's a lot of fun to play hide-and-go-seek with him, right? And so um, it's fun to find him and he, me, when we play this game. And of course, when you play, you count down, right? One, two, three, four, five. Usually we can't get past 10 before it's time to move on. And of course, what you do is say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and then Ready or not, right? That's what you say, ready or not. And what I've loved in particular, as he's found more creative places to hide, is when I say ready or not, when he's hidden, I sit down and start reading a book. <laughs> because, of course, for him, the longer he's hidden, the better it is, right? And so I'm just trying to help. And so he just stays hidden for a long time, and he gets a kick out of that, and I get a book read, right? So it works out perfectly fine. But ready or not is this great phrase that we say when we play hide-and-seek, but it's also a phrase that we think in our heads, it's time to go, right? Ready or not, here I come, game's on, let's make this happen, right? Same way with the new year, ready or not, it's time to get started, right? Ready or not, change is coming. Ready or not, the new year has begun right? And so part of what we realize is, is that uh, change is a part of life. It's a consistent part of life. We've realized and discovered over these last several years that change is just a reality, right? It's been a reality for a number of years, but COVID just kind of highlighted in a grand and, and spectacular way that change is just the normal part of life these days. And we've all had personal changes. Some of us, unfortunately, have lost loved ones within the last year. Some of us, unfortunately, have lost a relationship. Perhaps some of us even have lost a job. We've experienced change that was really quite unwelcome, right? We've also experienced change corporately, right? We've, we've had elections that have changed the landscape of the country. We've uh, experienced an economy that is off the Richter scale. I mean, some things are good, some things are bad. The confluence of the two don't seem to make sense at all. And so the economy is really different, and it's changed quite a bit, right? And all of this somewhat stems from COVID itself and the ways in which it has changed the landscape of the world and certainly our country and our community. And in a new year, we're mindful that change is coming, right? Change is a part of a new year. Change happens whether a new year happens. But in the new year, we realize, golly, there are new things to see, new things to do, new possibilities. We also recognize in our own denomination as the United Methodist Church, there's, there's stuff going on. And I mean, did you hear that? Have you heard that? There's stuff going on in the denomination. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I figured you were. And, and change may come and change may happen and we're just uncertain about it, right? We're not positive about what that looks like or how it will have impact. And so we wait and we watch and we try to figure, right? Change is consistent. 
We also know in this particular local United Methodist Church called Treacher Memorial United Methodist Church, we're looking at reconfiguring our campus and renewing the main campus and what that might look like and what impact that might have on us. And there's change in the air, and we, we don't understand what all that means. And, and a part of it causes us concern because change often causes fear, and change often causes stress, and change often causes us to pause and to ponder what is on the horizon and what do I need to do and how do I need to um, have in, any kind of influence or impact over this change. It's all a part of life, isn't it? And we've got to determine for ourselves what do we do with that. And for some of us, change is exciting. And, and we get all kind of uh, excited about the realities, and golly, that'll be fun, and I, I am ready for that. And, and some of us are just what some refer to as change agent. We get excited by all that. And others of us, when change happens, man, we get stymied, and, and we take pause. And some of us even get sort of nauseous over it, right? I mean, we're just like, I don't want that, and I don't like that, and that's not for me, and I, I can't handle that. And, and we all deal with change differently right? And so part of our uh, goal in trying to understand all this uh, in this new series was to point out change is real, change is consistent, change is a part of our lives, and we've got to figure out biblically and faithfully, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? What are we as followers of Christ to do? And every one of us will have a slightly different understanding of that, but we're going to look at the book of Joshua in the Old Testament to help us better understand because Joshua is a change agent. And Joshua responds well to God's guidance and direction for his life. When I think of change, I remember the first time in my professional life as a pastor that I faced a, a, what seemed like an insurmountable thing, and I had to address it, and it clearly was dealing with change. Some of you may recall that uh, several years ago I served the Argyle United Methodist Church just down the road, and I served that church for almost eight years and loved that f community. When I got there in 1995, uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, Argyle, of course, was a very rural community. It's still rural, but it's growing, right? And among all of those rural communities in and around it, Bartonville and Double Oak and Copper Canyon and Argyle, all of those, Argyle's growing by leaps and bounds, right? And we saw 30 years ago that that was on the horizon. And so as a church, we were trying to figure out, uh, what do we need to do about this? In, in 1999 in particular, we were told there was a little community being built called Lantana. Have you heard of it? And likewise, in 1999, we were, we were told that this other community just west of, of Argyle called Robeson Ranch was about to start. Have you heard of it? And what they told us was that way back then in 1999, each one of those divisions, Ropes and Ranch and Lantana, each one of them back then were going to have 300 homes a year built. And some of us who lived in the area were like, I don't want that, right? Some of you will know that. Some of you were here. We lived in Argyle and we thought, people are crazy who want to live in Lantana. And we still are. <laughs> I live in Lantana now. But a part of what the church needed to determine was how are we going to reach these 300 homes a year in Robeson Ranch and 300 homes a year in Lantana? How are we going to tell them about Jesus and how are we going to help them to come to know him and how are we going to invite people into this relationship? And, and it was a scary time and an exciting time all at the same time. 
And as you can well imagine, when we began to realize that we would no longer be able to serve where we were, and we would need to relocate because we needed more land, we needed a larger facility, we needed to be able to reach the community. Those of you who know the old church in Argyle, you know that currently it is the city hall for the town of Argyle. That's the church I served, that building. That's where I go vote now, right? But a part of what we realized was we need to relocate. We need to buy land and, and, and relocate. And for some people, that was exciting. Oh, man, we'll get to buy this new property and we'll get to relocate. We'll get to build a brand new building. That church at that time was over 100 years old, had been in that community since 1881. In just a few short years, they will celebrate 150 years in ministry of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God, right? But a part of what it also meant to others was, oh, my gosh, we're going to move? And I began to hear things like, um, man, we're going to lose our identity as a small church in a small rural town, or we're going to lose some church members because they're not going to like this, and they're not going to want to do that. And by golly, it's expensive to buy land, and I, how can we afford all that? And we have a historical marker right here on our property. What are we going to do with that? And there began a fear, right? And I learned a lesson then that is a very true lesson even to this day about fear and the ways that it has impact on our lives. Because change, whether it's good change or unwelcome change, often causes fear, right? We're not 100% sure what this means or what it looks like or what it's gonna, how it's going to uh, f- fall out here, right? And so the fear comes. And the lesson that I learned some 25 years ago about change and fear's impact on it is this. Fear often causes us to overestimate the cost of change and underestimate the cost of doing nothing. Because you see, to do nothing feels comfortable. To do nothing feels like, yeah, this will work. I mean, I kind of like the way this is, and and it won't cost us a thing, and it won't have any impact, and it won't do anything that will change anything. We tend to underestimate the cost of doing nothing and overestimate the cost of change. It became a life lesson for me. It reminded me of the fear that comes with change and how it is as followers of Jesus that we need to figure out what what do we do about this? Because a part of what we know about the God that we serve is this God is a God of change, a God who changed the Israelites' trajectory, a God who changed the trajectory of the world by offering a Savior in His Son, Jesus, a God who makes all things new, see. We follow a God of change. And so a part of our own humanity is what do, what do we do with this and what do we do about this and how do we face this? And it's why we wanted to offer this worship series during the month of January because there's no better time to talk about change than January, right? And so ready or not, here we come. That's why we're here, you see. And we're going to use the Old Testament book of Joshua because there's no better teacher in the Old Testament, at least I believe, about change because Joshua was the young leader following Moses. And so the Israelites had a leader in Moses, and he was going to get them to the promised land, and and everybody knew it, and God had assigned it, and God was making it possible. But then Deuteronomy tells us that Moses died, and therefore we need a new leader, change. We're still going to go to the promised land, but even the promised land is promised by God, and the place we want to go to is changed from 
what we'd known before in slavery in Egypt. And we're not sure how we're going to get there. We're not sure how it's all going to work. And we're not sure what it's going to look like when we get there. Change. But what we know is God is calling us to it and God is promising us it. And God will make a way, at least we hope and we think and we pray, right? And so Joshua, throughout his book, helps us to understand how to follow God through change. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, traversing through the book of Joshua, and we're going to hear, starting next week, from some of our own members who've applied the biblical principles of change to their own lives and the ways in which it's working, and what a gift it is to follow God in that way. So today, I invite us to look at Joshua in the very first chapter. There's no better place to start than Joshua chapter 1, to hear what it is Joshua begins to hear and to apply to the way in which he will deal with change so that the Israelites might find the promised land. Listen to these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all his people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give to you as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea to the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to act in accordance with the, all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. And then God gives Joshua a command. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A commandment. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for I, the Lord, will be with you wherever you go. Man, that's a powerful phrase, isn't it? That's a wonderful gift that God offers to Joshua and to the Israelites in the midst of their concern about change. A new leader a new place to live, a new way of being, a new way of understanding, a new way of who we are, change. And God's simple guidance is this, be strong and courageous. 
Three times, no less, in those nine verses, three times God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. If you go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 31, or just a chapter or two before, God will have said this three times as well to, to the Israelites and to Joshua and to himself even, be strong and courageous. And I think it's not just a platitude, right? I mean, it's not just God sort of saying, hey, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, would you? Make something happen. That's not what God's doing. What God is doing, rather, is realizing who these Israelites are and the way in which they have understood God and themselves previously. God gets it. They're human. They're fearful. And they need to hear not only a word of hope and strength, but they need to recognize why that hope and strength is real for them. God understands that the normal human inclination when change comes is, I don't want to. Not now. I'm not ready. Ready or not, God understood. And so God was trying to help them realize there could be a way forward and that God was with them. Didn't we just spend like five weeks talking about Jesus as God with us? Advent, that God stepped into the world to offer us hope and to give us love and to help us recognize that we are a part of God's greater plan and that God really is with us. The Lord your God is with you and will go with you wherever you go. God knew that they weren't ready. And God knew this because God had experienced it several times before. You know, when Moses had been given the commandment uh, to go take the Israelites into the promised land, he did his due diligence. He went and scouted out the land. The book of Numbers tells us that, right? Now, I know when you read the book of Numbers, you don't exactly stay awake. I get it. It's not our most favorite book of the Bible. But I want to challenge you today, this afternoon, to go home and read Numbers chapters 13 and 14. We don't find much exciting in that book, but what we do find in chapters 13 and 14 is the excitement of the way in which God spoke to Moses through his agents that he sent to scout out the promised land. And what they discovered was that it was possible to make it there. Not everybody believed it. Not everybody understood it. And, oh, by the way, some people were overestimating the cost of change and underestimating the cost of doing nothing. And it sounds something like this in Numbers chapter 14. When the Israelites heard that Moses wanted to take them across into the promised land, this was their response. All the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. And all the people said to them, we wish we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? Our wives and our children will be taken away. We would be better off going back to Egypt. They said to each other, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God knew these people. I've experienced these people in every United Methodist church I've ever served. And every United Methodist pastor and every clergy I've ever experienced, every one of them has a back-to-Egypt committee, every last one of them. <laughs> because these are people who overestimate the cost of change and underestimate the cost of doing nothing, you see. And lest you think that it's just here in Numbers chapter 14 where the people get a little uptight and a little uh, afraid and a little fearful of change, go with me to Exodus chapter 14 when they're about to cross the Red Sea. And God had promised that God would take them across the Red Sea. And what did the people say? 
Oh, are you trying to kill us? It'd be better if we went back to Egypt. And then they get across the Red Sea and they get into the wilderness where there's manna. And in Exodus chapter 15, they're about to get bread from heaven. And they say, oh, that we might die here. Why don't you take us back to Egypt? And then they get beyond that and they get into the, to the, where the Manasseh is and, they, and Moses strikes a rock and there's water. But before he could do it, the people were complaining, oh, that we should die here. Why don't you take us back to Egypt? You see, we're, we're a funny lot that way. When we can't see how we're going to get there, when we can't see the pattern where we don't understand how we're going to make it a certain way, even though God has said, we're going to go, we're going to make it, I'll be with you, we'll get there, I'll hold your hand, it'll be possible. We all say, oh, that we should die here. If only we could go back to Egypt just the way it was, just the way we'd always remembered it, just the way we've always done it. See, this is how we deal with change. It is normal. It is a part of our human inclination because it's different. And we don't always like it. And the way we typically deal with it is we internalize the fear. And what we begin to recognize is, is that when it comes to fear and change, fear causes us to overestimate the cost of change and underestimate the cost of doing nothing because we're afraid. And what God wants to say to us is, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid or be dismayed because I, the Lord, your God, am with you wherever you go. I will be with you. I will help you. I will offer you hope and a way forward. That's what we need to hear from Joshua. That's what we need to hear in our own lives I don't know what your change is. I know what our change might be collectively as a congregation. I, I know that there is change on the horizon collectively for us, either as a denomination or as a nation or as a people. Change is the one thing constant. And so as people of faith, we've got to, we've got to acknowledge that change is real, and then we've got to acknowledge we follow a God who says be strong and courageous. And why can I be strong and courageous? Because the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. And we need to claim that because it's true. Remember, God goes before us. God goes with us. And God claims us for the journey. See, most of us when we think of courage, right, God said to Joshua several times, be strong and courageous. And most of us think, well, courageous is something I can't be. Courageous is like this bravery beyond compare, and it's like standing up beyond anything I could ever do. And I could never be like those people. I could, I could never be a Moses or a Joshua. I could never be a Paul or a Peter. I could never be that person. But I need for us to hear that courage does not have an absence of fear. Courage has the capacity to move through the fear. Courage says, I'm afraid but I'm going to move forward anyway. I don't get how I'm going to get there, but I'm going to get there. Courage means standing up. Courage is not bravery without fear, but rather courage is boldness through the fear. And that's our challenge as people of faith. Fear is real just like the change is real. 
And so what we've got to claim for ourselves is, okay, I, I, I don't like this change. I'm, I'm not necessarily for this change. I, don't, I clearly don't understand this change, but I'm not going to let fear dictate what I do. I'm going to connect with the power source. I'm going to rely on the one who brought me. I'm going to realize that God is more powerful than any of this fear that overcomes me. Because as people of faith, here's what I want to claim for us. Courage follows when faith leads. Courage follows when faith leads. And oh, by the way, <laughs> courage is fear that has said its prayers. I don't know what you were doing Monday night, but if you were like me, Kay and I were watching Monday night football. I don't often watch Monday night football because I don't have ESPN, but it happened to be on ABC. I'm one of those cheap guys who won't pay for ESPN. But I was watching the game like some of you were, and I saw the hit, and I saw DeMar stand up, and then I saw him fall down. I'm like, why didn't he fall down? I mean, that didn't seem to be a very hard hit, and I don't get it. And then all of the chaos ensued, and you remembered if you saw it. And what absolutely captivated me, what absolutely fascinated me was how the broadcasters dealt with it. They, they didn't know what to do. I mean, they, they kept going to commercials, right? But in between the commercials, they would come back, and they would begin to talk about it. And the thing that they began to say was amazing. We need to pray for DeMar, they said. We need to pray for his family. We, we need to pray for the Buffalo Bills, and, and, and we need to pray for the Cincinnati Bengals, and we need to pray for this set of circumstances. And I thought to myself, am I watching the live broadcast of the NFL? They were literally in live time telling us that we need to pray. And I instantly thought to myself, that takes courage. It takes courage for those men and women to say that on live television. It takes courage for them to, to speak that truth, their own truth. It takes courage. And do you think that they had no absence of fear? I guarantee you they had fear. Can I do this? Is this right? Will the, will the, will the affiliate allow me to do this? Will, the, will ABC let me? Will the ESPN, will they let me? Do? All of that, I guarantee you, was going through their head while they stood up with the courage to say, courage is fear that has said its prayers. You see, courage doesn't come without fear. It simply moves through the fear because the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. It was fascinating even the next day as Dan Orlovsky, who was a former uh, football player and now a, a commentator for ESPN, who didn't just say, we ought to pray for DeMar. We, he literally bowed his head, closed his eyes, and he said a prayer on national television. You don't think he wasn't afraid? But he had courage because he was willing to say, I'm afraid, but I trust. I trust in the God who is with me wherever I go. And so he had courage to sit up and pray on live television. Now, friends, this is what Joshua is teaching us. He's teaching us that we're going to have trouble sometimes when we face change. We're going to have difficulty processing it sometimes when we face change. We're not always going to welcome the change that comes. Even welcome change can sometimes be stressful. Ask any newlywed. Ask any new parent for the very first time. Positive, helpful, healthy change, and yet can still be stressful and still can be full of fear. And yet God says, be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you 
wherever you go. You see, Joshua and his buddy Caleb were only two of the 12 spies who crossed over the promised land in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And they of the two of the 12 were the only two who said, you know what, those are big boys over there. It's going to be hard to get over there. It's going to be difficult, and it may even be challenging. But you know what? Those two said, we can do it. And do you know why we can do it while the other ten said we couldn't? Because God is with us, and God goes before us, and God claimed that it would be true, and God claimed that we could make this happen. So yes, I believe we can do it. Do you think he was afraid when he spoke up among the other ten? I think so. Do you think he was afraid when he was speaking to Moses face to face in the minority? I think so. But he took courage because he trusted and believed that the Lord his God was with him wherever he went. Do you imagine the little boy named David, teenager, who was going up against a big old boy named Goliath? Do you think when he picked up his rock and his slingshot that he wasn't afraid? The Scriptures don't say that, but I guarantee you a little 12, 13, 14-year-old boy who picks up a slingshot and is going to fight against Goliath is afraid. But he took courage. He said his prayers, and he believed that God was with him. Don't you imagine that a guy named Joseph who had a woman who's pregnant and ain't his child was afraid to take her as his wife and what people might say and how people might respond and how people might uh, think this is untrue or whatever. Don't you think he was afraid? But he had courage, and he stood up for Mary, and he took Mary as his wife. Do you not think that Peter, when he got up on the day of Pentecost to speak, was not afraid when people thought of him? That's the guy who abandoned Jesus. That's the guy who left him hanging on the cross. That's the guy who denied him. Do you not think that those tapes were playing in his head when he got up to speak and over 3,000 people came to faith that day? <laughs> I believe he was afraid. But he was also courageous because he said his prayers. And he believed that God was with him. Did you know a guy named Saul, who was the greatest persecutor of the church, was just a wee bit afraid when he started talking about Jesus and people reflected on who he was and what he had done? <laughs> but he took courage because he knew that the Lord his God was with him. And in part, I believe that's why he wrote to the church at Corinth in the 16th chapter when he just literally said, now be alert and be on guard. Keep your faith. Be strong. Be courageous. See, friends, ready or not, change is coming. And a part of our response as people of faith is to trust that God is with us, to trust that God has a way forward for us, to trust that even though we may not necessarily understand that change or, or even perhaps be in favor of that change, I want to trust and believe that I can rely on a God who will get me there, who will help me through the difficulty the God in whom I can rely and learn from and listen to and better understand. And when that time comes, because change is going to come, personally, corporately, when that time comes, let's not let fear regulate, but rather let's let faith delegate so that we can have courage and be strong because the Lord our God is with us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me?
holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your child, Joshua, who we cannot help but believe as he took on the leadership and the helm of the Israelite nation to take them into the promised land, was just a tad bit afraid of what it looked like and what it would feel like and how he would lead them. And yet, God, he heard your words, be strong and courageous. And he took those words, and he lived those words, and he loved those words. God, may they be ours today. May they guide us well in the days and months and years to come, that we can rely on you and trust in you and believe that we do not need to be afraid nor dismayed, but rather we need to know that you are with us wherever we go. May we, God, be strong and courageous. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, before I leave, let me just offer my great gratitude to you for an amazingly generous year in 2022. And as we begin this year, 2023, let me just say in advance how grateful I am for the ways in which you will be generous in this year too. If you brought a gift with you, we're grateful. And of course, you can take them to the brown boxes right outside the doors. Or if you want to make a digital gift either now or maybe even tomorrow, you can scan the QR code that's on the screen or you can text the letters TMUMC to the number 45777. But whatever you give and however you give, we're grateful. Thank you.